0: Hey folks, welcome back to yet another episode of the Inside the Blue Jays podcast. I'm Ethan Diamandis, I'm here with Mitch Bannon, and we cover the Blue Jays for Sports Illustrated. It's been a fun week for this Toronto team, and we'll break it all down for you, starting with Vladdy Guerrero Jr.'s Monster of a Game on Wednesday. Then we'll address some big takeaways from the other games of the season so far, and we'll top it all off with a preview of the Blue Jays weekend series versus Oakland. There's so much more baseball to go. And we're super stoked to give you everything you need to know on this short but sweet episode of the Inside the Blue Jays podcast. Thanks so much for listening.
1: All right, Ethan, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Will Vlad Guerrero Jr.
0: hit 60 home runs this season? If he keeps up that current pace, I think he's got a shot. Um, But no, I I don't, if he didn't hit 60 home runs last year, he's not going to do it this year. I mean, when was the last time someone hit 60 home runs? Like Mark McGuire, somewhere back then. I don't think Stanton's ever done it. So yeah. When everyone was putting needles in their butts, (laughs) (laughs) that's the last time someone did it. So, I mean, Vlad has that that superstar ability, but I wouldn't hold out for 60.
1: Yeah. I think, especially when you take into account that they played in Buffalo and Dunedin, not the most pitcher friendly parks last year, people might not love to hear it, but that 48 homers might be kind of the top out, but also he's what? 23, 24. He could just get better. So maybe if he, he could prove us all wrong. If he just continues to improve plays like he did last night, that was one hell of a game. You were covering it. Vlad was obviously the story of the game, right?
0: Uh, no, actually. No, it was it was Vlad, <laughs> of course. Um, yeah, man, he was, he was phenomenal from the very first inning and uh, started off with that, like, wall-scraping home run off Garrett Cole uh, that looked like Hicks actually had it and then knocked it over the fence. But hey, you take him how you can get him. And then, you know, it was just the tip of the iceberg. He got better and better. Um, his second home run which is probably the one that people were most surprised by was a 98 mile an hour fastball from Cole. You know, if I had just had his hands stepped on recently on defense, he went into the dugout, got it taped up, uh, came back. And so Cole was smart in that. I, I thought that was smart by him to go right at his hands, right? Go hard in, see if you can jam them. Um, but Vlad got the barrel around and he smoked it. Um, I think I can't remember. I think that one was 420 something. I could be wrong. Uh, that was really impressive. And then of course he added one more against a pretty elite setup guy in Jonathan Loizaga um, to kind of seal the deal on what was a an exciting ball game. But you know another solid Blue Jays win. Do you think uh, Bo Bichette got a talking to in the dugout from Vlad after that ninth inning to not give Vlad one more at bat to get the fourth homer? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, I I think it was nice to see that he had a clean four for four um so you know who knows four for five doesn't quite have that ring um but um you know he also added a double and then that was that was pretty uh, interesting because you saw garrett cole give him the uh, the old tip of the cap like i've tried everything to get you out and i just cannot do it um and afterwards cole said something to the extent of you know if, if you had a cap you'd tip it too like vlad was not just extraordinary um, from the Blue Jays side, I think everyone in, in around the game, not even just <laughs> on the Yankees, recognized you know how exceptional that effort was.
1: Yeah, I think it's we saw it once last year. He had a three home run game with a couple against Max Scherzer, and now he's got one against Garrett Cole. He's not going in against BP fastball guys and just launching nukes. He's doing this against the best pitchers in baseball, and has clearly established himself as one of the best hitters in baseball. And we saw it wasn't even the biggest home run he didn't hit of the first week, there was that one against mm-hmm. Texas, which I think was his longest home run ever that can kind of lead us into the first couple of games we've seen. I think we are seven games into the season, six games into the season. I'm sorry. They're yeah. four and two right now. Mm-hmm. As we talk, uh, what is kind of your takeaway from this first six
0: games, these first couple series? Yeah, I think it's about, you know, everything's on track. I think record wise, you know, you'd expect Toronto to maybe drop a letdown game against Texas, which they kind of did. Uh, In that Sunday game, Um, I think the offense is hitting, you know, up to the the high standard that it did last year. I think that's that's pretty impressive. You know, you might have expected some kind of drawback uh, in that area. But I think a big takeaway and one that I think the fans are pretty curious about is the uh, the capabilities of the starting rotation. You know, there a lot was made in the offseason about the upgrades that Toronto made to its rotation. Uh, And I think you and I both agreed that the rotation would be a strength of the team this year. And that just hasn't been the case to start. Um, you know, it, it began on day one when Jose Barrios only got one out uh, on opening night. Obviously, that game uh, was one of the craziest opening days in, in history. Toronto raged all the way back. But, uh, you know, getting, getting only one out from your starter on the first game of the year on a shortened spring training, you know, asking the bullpen to cover all those innings uh, is tough. And so, you know, and then on Sunday, Gosman was all right. You know, he worked five, right? Mm -hmm. Five innings. Five, three earned runs. just I would say a very average. start. Yeah, he was all right. And then Ryu was good through three on Sunday, and then he got absolutely torched. And, you know, that'll be something to follow because that's kind of what was happening to Ryu at the end of last season. Um, So on back, you know, circling full circle, you know, we saw Kikuchi, he wasn't great. Um, But I think the bigger takeaway from from Wednesday's game um, was that Jose looked better. Jose Barrios went five innings. Uh, he gave up back-to-back home runs. He kind of third time through the order fell apart a little bit. Um, so I think the rotation is something to, to keep watching pretty closely. Alec Manoa was, you know, phenomenal. He had the best start out of anyone uh, so far. But, um, you know, going ahead going into the series, um, finishing the Yankee series, going to Oakland, we'll talk about that a little bit later. But I think the rotation is definitely something to keep an eye on.
1: Yeah, I think we we saw the ceiling of the rotation. If Alec Manoa is going to be your fourth starter and go out there and give you six shutout innings, that's a pretty damn good rotation. But we also saw the fact that these guys are playing against really good teams. I think Texas's lineup is a lot better than people even thought it could be. I think those are some tough matchups to draw. Clearly, Barrios may not have said it, but there were some nerves there, obviously. Opening day start, opening first opening day start after signing a huge contract extension. Uh I, I'm sure there was some nerves and then especially when it starts to fall apart on you like that, it can, it can easily slide, but I think we know exactly what Barrios and Gosman are going to be. I think at very worst, these guys are like high threes, ERAs, pitchers. They're not going to be guys who have blowups like that often. Uh, so I think you can have confidence in that. The turning points are going to be, as we've talked about before, Ryu and Kikuchi. Uh, I think that they can rebound from their kind of tough outings. They can give five, six innings against and really dominate kind of lower competition, they're going to have bad days against the Yankees. Really Mm. good pitchers are going to have bad days against the Yankees, Uh, but they got to rebound against teams like Oakland and uh, some of these teams coming up for the Jays.
0: Yeah, I think it's a a matter of like making the most of those makeup games, sort of like guys like Ryu, left-handers with, you know, some hard contact issues, they're inevitably going to have blowups. I think it's about making back those ERA points and starts against Baltimore, against Oakland, Uh, uh, teams of that nature. So I think that'll be something to watch uh, going forward. But um, another big takeaway from Wednesday's game was that uh, Teoscar Hernandez left with uh, what looked like a pretty significant um, side injury. The team called it left side discomfort. I think that's code for oblique as far as we go. I think that's exactly what they (laughs) called
1: Danny Jansen's injury that 24 hours later also turned out to be an oblique we haven't heard back on Teoscar. i'm sure when you're listening to this you will know when one way or the other but it's yeah it it, the season is on track for the blue jays except for kind of the injury bug Mm -hmm. losing danny jansen after that hot start hurts losing Teoscar hernandez potentially for some time will hurt uh how do you think they'll fill these roles
0: yeah i think uh Know before we talk about Teoscar's role in the cleanup spot in Toronto's lineup, which is important, but Toronto's lineup is deep enough to make up some of those you know minor you know order adjustments. I think it comes more with making up his production in the outfield, and Toronto has emphasized um you know revamping its outfield a little bit, obviously getting Rymel Tapia for Randall Grichick, who Grichik was trending on Twitter when when Teoscar was (laughs) injuring or was uh, was was leaving with injury rather, Um, and I think that's a bit ironic given how um, the fans seem to perceive Grichik during his time in Toronto. But um, yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a mishmash of guys. I think we're gonna see Tapia become a regular player in this lineup. He's kind of been like a semi regular guy to this point. I think Bradley Zimmer now gets a more significant role. He entered the game for Teoscar. Um, I believe in the seventh inning, and he pushed. He entered in center field, pushed Springer over to right field. Um, yeah, so Zimmer's going to be a guy that's going to get more reps. I'm very intrigued by his skill set. You know, he's kind of high power, high swing and miss, incredible speed, incredible defense. You know, all the makings of a high draft pick, which he was. Hasn't been able to put it all together. So interested to see what he does. Um, but Mitch, there's another guy who hasn't had a lot of at-bats this year, that could very well uh, play into this situation as well.
1: Yeah, I think we've seen Kevin Biggio go to right field a lot, uh, and I think he'll be doing that a lot, especially because you mentioned Tapia and you mentioned uh, the other outfield options like Zimmer. They're both left-handed. Biggio also left-handed, but they're going to have to figure out how they want to navigate the outfield if Hernandez is out for a little bit against left-handed pitchers one of those bats those southpaw bass is going to have to be in the lineup and I think Biggio probably the guy you want uh you'd run out the Guriel Springer Biggio outfield because I think Kevin has had years where he's a little bit better against lefty pitching last year was not one of those years but last year really nothing went right for Biggio so I think it'll be an interesting chance for him to get some run with how well Santiago Espinal's playing uh one door kind of closes for cabin on that everyday second base role. Espinel
0: is going to run with, run away with it, but
1: another one is opened here with the potential Hernandez injury. Mm-hmm.
0: And yeah, I, I mean, I definitely get the feeling that Toronto likes Espinel better at second base. I mean, he's now getting starts against, you know, right-handed pitchers, which we didn't even think was going to happen. Um, I mean, hats off to Espinel. He's done everything possible, you know, in his power to, to, to hold on to that spot. He's shown that he, He's put on the muscle. He's swinging the bat, you know, a a lot harder. He's hitting it harder. You know, he's driving those fastballs that uh, he can take advantage of. Um, The outfield's a little bit of a mess, but I think the bigger mess honestly is behind the plate, right? With Jansen gone, you know, Toronto, it's my opinion that I think Toronto needs to let Kirk run a little bit longer with his, with his back-to-back outings. I think, you know, you have to have that faith in a guy to run him out on back-to-back days. Um, but, you know, now Toronto has a, an interesting mix of three different catchers on the roster. Um, they have Kirk, of course. They have Taylor Heineman, who they called up. He was kind of on that taxi squad. Zach Collins, who um, hasn't done much to, you know, give anyone faith with his ability at the plate. He's struck out quite a bit. Um, I think that's interesting. And, of course, with all this, um, all this controversy behind the plate, fans are clamoring for none other than Gabriel Moreno, who's just getting, you know, his feet under him in AAA. But, you know, Mitch, in a normal year, let's say Moreno doesn't have these visa issues getting into spring training. You know, let's say he's fully built up from a hitter standpoint and a catcher standpoint. Do you think we see him on, you know, April 14th, April 15th, if it's a normal year?
1: Yeah, I think that's actually a really interesting hypothetical. I would say, as much as fans probably don't want to hear this, we wouldn't have seen Moreno until at least... April 20th, even if this had happened, and even if he had had 50 plate appearances in spring, that is about that uh, extra service time date, which MLB claimed they kind of got rid of with new rules in the CBA. They, they definitely didn't. I, I think there's definitely still going to be service time manipulation. So, so no, I don't think we would have seen Moreno this week uh, if he had gotten a full run in spring training. But maybe in two weeks we would have. And that becomes a lot more interesting. Right now, he's got five plate appearances in AAA. This is a guy who really hasn't played in AAA. He's the number seven prospect in baseball by MLB Pipeline. He's not the type of guy you want to rush. This is a long-term play. He is the catcher of the future. Uh, I think they'll probably try to get him at least 50, probably closer to 100 plate appearances in the minors before they even really think about calling him up. But if Kirk goes down in two weeks mm-hmm. and he missed a lot of time with a hip injury last year, do you want to be running out of Zach Collins, Tyler Heineman, tandem behind the plate? Probably not. So I think uh, if Moreno keeps playing, he got two hits in his debut in AAA, keeps playing well, and
0: then something else happens, then the Blue Jays' hand can mm-hmm. really be forced. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's got to, you know, I think if Kirk goes down, for sure. You know, all, all bets are off if it's past that April 20 service time point. I think you got to call him up. Um, Mitch, you got a chance to watch Moreno's performance in AAA in that opening game. Uh, what did you see from him? What did you like?
1: Yeah, I think obviously a two singles off of former Blue Jays starter Aaron Sanchez. Kind of funny, full circle moment there. But the thing I was more impressed with was the defense. In the bottom of the first inning, he had a towering fly ball. He kind of lost for a minute. He reached back to the ump asking for a ball not realizing that the ball was going to stay in play and then he caught it with his eye he ran back to the backstop and made a slide and grab it was a really nice catch probably would have been an easy catch if he had tracked the ball the whole time but uh, and then a batter later two batters later he gunned a guy out at second it wasn't the greatest throw it was a little left of the bag but the arm strength was there that he beat him by so much that it was yeah. still an out I think everyone always says with these top prospects all of them can always hit And that you keep them in AAA to make sure the defense is there. So Mm. if he keeps making those plays, there's going to be not a whole lot of questions with Moreno.
0: Yeah, I like to see that, you know, we talk a lot about Moreno's like, you know, the loud contact that he makes. And, that you know, he's a guy that when you're facing the other way, you're watching BP, you know, when he's hitting. But I like to see that, you know, he dropped some bloop singles in there. Right. He controlled the zone with his bat, um, I think, as a catcher. You know, it's a position that tends to be kind of a boomer bust, a power, low average. Uh, it's nice to see someone kind of like uh, Moreno there who, you know, can be a contact first guy. He's, he's a small guy. He's not very big, um, but has that power kind of a little bit like Alejandro Kirk in the sense that you have, you know, good plate discipline, uh, good bat to ball skills. Um, I think that's interesting. But uh, unfortunately, I guess the, uh, the Moreno AAA um, experiment will continue
1: yeah i think it will i if i was to guess i would say post july i would say around trade deadline but if danny jansen comes back in a few weeks as we're led to believe maybe closer to a month and looks like he did in those first couple opening series where it's going to be moreno's going to have a long time in triple a but uh they do continue to play baseball with or without gabriel moreno with or without danny jansen uh oakland comes to town on friday it sounds like they're addressing kind of the rotation we discussed earlier they're trying to give these guys a little more rest by starting ross stripling on friday uh, i had a chance to talk to ross after his first outing of the season and we kind of knew that the six-man rotation was a possibility we knew that he would probably be the guy especially with nate pearson coming back from mono to spell starters we didn't realize what happen this soon in the season or at least i didn't realize it uh but i was talking to him about his routine how it changes and it sounds like he's it doesn't sound like he has been the guy who's played this swingman role his entire career he said he's the only one he's ever talked to who's gotten into his 30s played a full major league career and has always been a swingman usually guys fall one way or another so he's very adept at kind of being this flexible can pitch nine pitches can pitch 90 pitches I think we probably only see him for four or five innings on Friday then they go to the bullpen which has performed well but what else are you looking forward to in this Oakland series
0: Yeah, I guess it'll be interesting to see what Stripling, what we get out of him on Friday. Um, You know, he was a guy that started off last season quite dreadful, um, but really, you know, turned it around. He had an oblique injury that kind of messed up his season. But, you know, he's going to be a guy that's going to be called on quite often. Like you said, that swingman role his whole life, he knows it. I think Toronto fans know that we can expect somewhere between now. Uh, could I spitball? You know, five to seven starts maybe for Stripling. I'd say maybe um, even
1: like topping out twelve.
0: That's what yeah, put the over under at. Um, yeah, so he's gonna make he's gonna make a lot of starts this year. Uh, another and in four to five innings, I think sounds about right. Um, obviously, they play they play Oakland this weekend, and the big story there, um, of course, it's Jackie Robinson Day. So um, that'll be interesting. There'll be lots of, um, of different uh, storylines to follow. But Matt Chapman, of course, playing against his former team. Um, he was uh, swapped to Toronto in a deal for Kevin Smith, uh, Kirby Sneed, and uh, starting pitcher Zach Logue. So he's going to be mobbed by media. I think we expect everyone's going to want to talk to Chapman, Oakland media, um, us on the Toronto side. Um, yeah, I think... I think it'll be weird for Oakland fans and, you know, Oakland players to play against him, but uh, probably a challenge that they're looking forward to, I imagine.
1: Yeah, I think Kevin Smith, you mentioned, it's kind of funny that's like both the third baseman for these teams were just on the other teams 10 months ago. Uh, So that will be the big storyline. If Blue Jays fans are interested, Kevin Smith is playing basically every day third base for Oakland. He's started as we speak four of the last six games at third base, looks like he is splitting time with Sheldon noise, noose noise. I don't know how to pronounce his last name. I would say noise, but Noice. that's just my guess. We'll find out this weekend, how it's pronounced. But yeah, I, I think Matt Chapman's a guy, who hit a ball really hard in that first Texas series. He hasn't looked super comfortable behind the plate yet. He had a little bit better contact skills in this New York series, but I think this is maybe a chance for him to kind of find himself. I think we saw if my memory serves me correct, correct. Uh, Marcus Semyon really started getting hot in his return to Oakland last year. So maybe it's a similar facing the old team, start to
0: get hot moment for Matt Chapman. Yeah. <laughs> Chapman's pretty easygoing. Nice guy. He doesn't strike me as like the revenge game type <laughs> of guy, uh, especially against Oakland who, you know, I'm, I'm sure he was probably a little bit happy to kind of get out of that situation. Um, yeah. He's swung and missed quite a bit so far this season. Like, I think we knew that coming into coming into the season, seeing his profile from Oakland, seeing it up up close, it's a little, of course, um, a little different, a little bit more dramatic. Um, he hit that home run in Texas against Texas, rather. That was that was nice, and you know he drove in uh, a run uh, last night or Wednesday Wednesday night. Um, but he's going to have a better, he's going to have a, a greater opportunity with Teoscar down. Right? We talked about who's going to fill this cleanup spot who's going to move up in the order. I think we're going to see Lourdes Guriel probably get some reps uh, out of the number four spot, but I think it's, it's going to be, Toronto's going to count on Matt Chapman to kind of fill some of that RBI, some of that extra base production that they got from Teoscar.
1: Yeah. I think Kirk, Guriel, Chapman, none of them have an, a slugging percentage over 400 right now. Obviously the smallest of small sample sizes, these guys are good hitters. They'll become good hitters. But I I do agree with Teoscar going down. uh, If it's for any extended period of time, one of those guys is going to have to move into the cleanup spot. They'll all move up in the order, and they're going to have to drive in Springer, Bichette, and Guerrero. Vlad's not going to hit a home run every single time he's up. He's going to get his share of doubles, his share of singles. So this lineup being as deadly as it's shown it can be is going to be reliant on those middle bats. And I think against a team like Oakland, that's a good opportunity to really get going this is a team that if we're being honest is not trying to win baseball games this year they sold off all of their win now pieces for future pieces like kevin smith like zach loge uh so i think this is we were discussing before we started recording here this is a series toronto probably wants to have or maybe even has to have i think you feel even more strongly about that than i do yeah
0: a little bit i mean you just think of a team like Toronto and and how how dominant they can be and, and what the expectations are for Toronto's season, right? Like this is a team that is legitimately shooting to be a World Series contender, and now you're matched up against Oakland, who is like openly, openly not trying to win, trying to shed payroll. Um, I think they had signed like one major league free agent through um, through through spring training or something silly to, to I think that it's extent. Just
1: Jed Lowry, maybe. <laughs>
0: Um, I think the difference between good teams and great teams, and this is maybe a a cliched, uh, take, but I think it comes down to sweeping series against teams that you need to win. You need to beat these teams, right? There's, there's really, there was no excuse for Toronto, you know, dropping that last game to Texas. They had a big lead, you know, it's 162 games, like things happen. I get it. Um, but I think Toronto, you know, if they can learn from how they fell short one game last season, Uh, I think they need a sweep this weekend. And I think the urgency starts in April. I think that's something that Toronto missed last year when, you know, they got off to a a so-so start. I think, you know, we saw them plenty of times. They would, you know, dominate Baltimore for two out of three games of a series. And then, you know, have one offensive stinker where, you know, they just, they couldn't hit and, and Baltimore squeaked out a win. I think Toronto needs to set the tone this weekend. You know, they're at home, um, you know, they'll, they'll have Manoa going for one of these games and he was he was super dominant last time. So I think this is, you know, an important weekend for Toronto to set the tone because the schedule gets much, much more difficult. You know, they play Houston twice. They play Boston twice uh, at the end of the month. So I think you got to make use of these games against Oakland.
1: Yeah, I think going forward for the rest of this month, all of the series are kind of series that you would be open to splitting. Even going one and two, because they're really good baseball teams. So against Texas and against Oakland, these are series you kind of have to have. And I know it is a little bit early to have the playoff picture talk, but with the new format, being one of those top two teams is huge in the American League this year. You skip out on that three, four, five, six best two to three playing. Mm-hmm. So if you're a wildcard team or you are the third best American League division winner, you have to win two more playoff games than anybody else. So I think if this Jays team wants to be as good as people think they are,
0: they got to be one of those top two teams. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I, I see that argument. And, but I also, you know, Mark Shapiro was very open about, you know, just, you just got to get in. Yeah. Right. Like there's that, there's that element of it too, but I think obviously the bar should be to avoid the, those, those extra playoff games. But um, Toronto is a team that just needs to squeak into the playoffs so they can finally, you know, have these Vlad three Homer games or these, kind of pop-up spurts of offensive dominance um so that should be the goal and I think when you look back on the season maybe once April is done let's say you know and if you dropped you know a game to Texas you dropped a game to Oakland when you know you could have won quite easily I think those will sting a little bit more
1: yeah I completely agree and we will we'll see how that weekend series goes Uh, this is our first time recording during the season Uh, I think it was pretty fun we're going to work out the kinks of the series recaps the series previews but if anyone's got any feedback we're definitely open to it uh feel free to rate and review on apple Podcasts. that would really help us out as we get into this mid-season podcasting thing but uh we will be back next week same time same place that you're listening right now with the inside the blue jays podcast